Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. Hello, this is Friday, June 5th, and I am here with Ray of Pull the Trigger Enterprises and Vertex Capital Group. And do you call it Capital Group or Capital Fund? Uh, capital Fund. Okay, all right, yeah. I had a feeling after I said that, I was like, I think it's fun, not group. <laughs> anyway, um, today we're going to be talking about exit strategies. But before I do that, I wanted to ask you, I sent you a chapter uh, yesterday. Did you have a chance to look at it yet? Yeah, I read it this morning. Okay. Uh, a couple, you know, I made a couple of minor changes, but that's uh, more um, just minor, just uh, a word or two. That's about it. I like the okay. way I like the way the HOA read. Okay, good, good. Um, can we go through them now, or do you want to go through them later, or what would you like to do? Well, I know that uh, you also said the the table of contents. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I just thought, you know, we're at a stage where it's like, okay, let's take a look at where we're at and, you know, how many yes. pages we've done because I haven't counted it up yet. You know, it's like, geez, we're coming along here, you know. So, and, and, you know, as I, look, as I look at the rest of the chapters, too, um, like, you know, subject to uh, notes, probate, I think we talked about some of those in previous chapters. I know we more talked about inquiring. Yes. I know we talked. Can we can we remove that one? Let's remove that one. Um, okay. I think notes is big. Um, it's yeah. eliminate yeah. probate. Yeah, probate wholesaling. I think that's pretty big. Yeah, that is big. Uh, condo conversion. Take that out. Condo conversion. Okay. So let's. Uh, asset protection is good. I think no money down is also good. And then uh, marketing and commercial funding. A new development, a bank-owned development. Um, an investor, a, a, a real estate investor is not going to be doing new development. They're not going to be into new development? No. Okay. All right. We'll and bank-owned development. I don't know what I meant by that. Bank-owned development. Probably taking over a subdivision that was foreclosed on and picking up where they left off. And, again, a new a new. It's not a strategy for an investor. You got to have big okay. money to get that thing. All going. right. Okay. Good. Yeah. All right. Good. So that that's good. I wanted to do that. The other thing is, is I'm looking at the order of things, and mm -hmm. you know, in the chapter on HOA liens, you know, you're kind of saying that well, foreclosures will always always be out there, but right now they're not hot. They were hot, you know, and Correct. I think that should probably come after the chapter you're going to be receiving next on um, bank-owned real estate, you know, foreclosure, short sales, and everything? Yes. Yep. Okay. So I'm going to move the order of that. X, move this. Control V. Okay. Hang on here. Tab, tab, tab. 
Okay, and then get rid of this. Okay, all right. Is there anything else you think that should go before um, HOA liens? Since it's kind of more of a advanced strategy. It's advanced, then we could access strategy. I think the others will follow. Um, because then they'll follow in order. We're talking about asset protection, marketing. Uh, those things are, are very important. So at the beginning, we talk about having a business plan, and then we wrap it up with not now you got now you're marketing. How do you market yourself? Why are you marketing yourself? And who, right. who are you trying to reach? So right. that makes sense. Do you, think, do you think like exit strategies should come before HOA liens? I kind of do. It should come before. Yeah. Do you think or not? No, I think the exit strategy is everything we talked about prior. Now, I always say you have to have an exit strategy in mind before you even buy it. And we're going to kind of recap some of those if we're doing a bank-owned property. And we can talk about that today, some of the things I've been involved in, is what does that really look like? Right, right. Okay. Now, I just plugged corporate corporate entities like originally you had that as like chapter two or something but right. i just plugged it in you know to somewhere you know but um at any rate where do you think i mean it should go do you, do you think that's a good place for it or i mean my feeling is it should go down even further on the list of stuff that you yeah I, I think it should go down toward even below marketing below marketing okay yeah because i, I think that's kind of a that I read this as a person here now as I get towards the end of the book, okay, now we're talking about corporate strategies and structures and that will make more sense. Right. right. I learned okay. everything else up here. I read this now towards the, you know, actually below marketing. Yeah. Okay. So I put it below marketing. Okay. Do we, um, do we have a trapped, a chapter on crowdfunding? Uh, we don't have a chapter on crowdfunding. We have crowdfunding inside financing. Okay. Yeah, hang on. Uh, Let me I'll... go find that chapter. I'll pull it up. I think it's maybe like a page or a page and a half. Um, computer, hang on. Acquire financing your deals. Okay, let's see here. Let me just do a little search. Crowd funding. Okay, crowdfunding is towards the end of the chapter. Online crowdfunding. Okay, it's on page 12 of the 17 chapters and... Let's see. It's only about maybe a page. Okay. Yeah. It's it's like there's maybe uh, towards the bottom of one page and then about two-thirds of the next page, the way it's, you know, set up on Microsoft Word at the moment. Yeah, because I think... Um... I know you think, think that's going to be really big, you know. Yeah, I do, and uh, I I believe as folks start reading this, look, I'm a new investor. I find a piece of property. I don't quite have all the money. 
Um, I'm looking for private funds. I can't get funded. Crowdfunding may be the way for them, even though some of the crowdfunders out there want uh, you to be an accredited uh, rehabber or flipper or whatever your model is going to be. But I think over time, <clears throat> they'll relax on that because the security is the real estate, do you not know, the individual. Do you know someone who's um, done it for real estate? Um, I do not know the individual investors. I know more of the crowdfunding platforms and what they're doing. And right, right now, they're they're lending out a, a clip about four to five million a month. Wow, which is pretty huge. Wow, and and when people, um, you know, my understanding of crowdfunding is very often it's like you're giving that. You know, if you say, okay, I'll give this guy fifty bucks, you know, it's like you're giving that money away. It's not a loan; it's yeah. a gift. Okay. Um, yeah, it's I, not. Okay, so you're saying with real estate, that's not the case. No, it's it's not. Uh, I think with real estate, uh, there's different. You know, there's there's crowdfunding for, you know, single family homes, for multi units, for commercial strip malls, malls, office buildings. Uh, the list is really really long. How big this is grown. It's actually bigger overseas than it is here. Do you want to make that its own chapter? Yeah, I, I, I think we should because that's going to be the new wave of funding. Why don't we put it under financing real estate? Yeah, you know, I mean, maybe a subsection or something, and just really go after it. Okay, so I'm going to put cloud funding. Okay, so we'll need to have a conversation about that. And, um, okay, now you said there were a couple of things in the chapter I just sent you on HOAs that need to be changed. Do you recall what those were? Yeah, um, again, they're just minor. I mean, that's that's my fine. That's fine. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> yeah. It's more of... Boy, when you tell me these... Uh, institutional investors can't wrap their heads around it. It's like the fact that they're just a couple of minor things, I feel pretty good about that. Well, you did yeah. a great job on it because you hit, the way you laid it out, it hit all the reasons why this is the next wave. Right, um, right. That's, that's what I like, want to do. It's not just like, okay, we got this new thing, but like how did this come about and develop, you know? Right. You give a reason for it, you give a foundation for it. Right. Um, you have on the second page, the bubble finally burst towards the bottom. Okay. Where it says between the years of 2006, 2013. Mm -hmm. It really started. I found it <clears throat> on Realty Track. They had these numbers for the different years, and I just added them all together. And 2013 was the most recent year that they had. So if you go between 2002 and 2011, okay, there are 55 million foreclosures. 55 million? Are... Yes. Okay. All right. You, you're the one who reads this stuff all the time, you know. So, wow, 55 million. Okay. And then on the third page, just uh, go down to where it says since the 1970s. Where it says what? 
Now, the bottom of the page, it says, since the 1970s, HOAs have always had the right to kick you off versus right to kick you off. It's just uh, putting two in there. Oh, okay. They kick you off your property and lock the door. Okay. Other than that, I mean, again, I do like the way it reads. It reads really well. That's it? Oh, my God, that's so easy. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, I, I could tell you the research you did. So the this when you looked at California with those ten thousand properties, mm-hmm. Denise, that's our strategy here. We're gonna set, we're gonna jam seventy thousand through versus ten thousand. Should I change the number on it? No, just leave it leave it to ten thousand. Okay, okay. As far as like putting them all through the court system all at the same time with like one bang of the gavel. Correct. Right. Okay. All right. So when we started, anything else on that chapter? No, I think it looks good. I think uh, okay. it reads really well. Okay, good. good. Um, when we started the conversation, you said it's been a week of ups and downs. What's going on? Um, uh, brokers are... Somebody told me this week that brokers have the word broke inside them, and we know the reason why. <laughs> okay. Because they get in their own way. And mm-hmm. the reason they do that is they, they get greedy and they think about a commission. They don't think about the big picture. You're talking about real estate brokers. Yes. Uh, good example. We have this guy by the name of Boris. We... Um, He's bringing a opportunity for us for 500 properties. Um, he took. And he is asked permission to do that. Is that the Colorado? Is that the Colorado this, deal? They're still in Florida. Oh, Florida. Okay. Yeah. So he um, asked. If, he says, "Look, he said, I know the buyer. If I could put ten thousand dollars each property, do you guys mind?" He said, "If you can get it, get it done, but get it closed. Don't jeopardize the deal." when you're putting so much money on top. So he got the guy moving and had a conference call. The guy's ready, proofed up everything. Everything, ver- he's verified. And that was just like Monday. And then we have a, every day the deposit supposed to come in. And um, in the meantime, one of the things the guy asked, he says, if you guys have anything in South Florida, I'll take it all. What just so happens the night before, I had a package of 30 properties in South Florida, the different association. Mm-hmm. So I told him, I said, I got this comment. I don't have all the addresses yet, but we're getting there. He says, whatever you had, just bring it to me. So we take it to Boris, who's the realtor. Right. This is on that night. We want him to present us because he said he could close right away. We probably have a close by the following day. What he does, he doesn't take it to Isaac, who's his client, he takes it to somebody else that tries to get more money for it. Oh, my God, like you pulled an end run on you? Yeah, so we're like, what are you doing? He goes, well, you know, I, I want to take, I had another guy, but he's not going to do it. I go, the reason I'm going to do it because it takes so much explaining. Isaac already understands it. He wants this. He asked for it. The reason we gave it to you first is because he asked for it. So then he, he calls us, uh, was it yesterday? 
So we haven't heard from Isaac. Uh, supposed to be doing a wire transfer for the 1% deposit. And we're looking for this. And he, well, we, we haven't talked to him yet, or he's still working on that, or he goes, also, he's out on the South Florida properties. We go, he's out. And when we proved up on him, his attorney said, that's the minimum he has in his account. He's got more. He's got the $400 million. Huh. I said, why would he be out if he had specifically asked for it? Well, our, our suspicions are he never presented it to him. Wow. So right now, I'm getting some text messages in here as we're talking. So uh, we have a person on our staff and our team. Her name is Shannon Grosso. She's an independent realtor, just a different mentality than most. Uh, her family's been in the building development business for about 90 years. They built uh, many, many subdivisions over time. They build 500 custom homes a year. And so she's been around all of her life. She says since time she was 12 years old with her grandfather, dad, and so forth. So we had a call prior to our call. And I, here's, I said, here's a strategy. Here. I said, we don't have Isaac's telephone number. And we changed that internally to make sure that we have all contact information for every single buyer that we talk to to eliminate the broker. Not pay them. I mean, we're going to pay them. We want direct access. So right now, she followed us. She actually talked to him. She got a hold of him. Here's a couple more questions. And uh, I said, if he brings up the Florida property, uh, the South Florida properties, I said, be frank with him. So if, you, if we still have them if he wants them. And let's um, just get them moving. So these guys are running around, the brokers are running around trying to sell six properties when they had 500 at $5 million fee ready to go. Wow. Denise, how do you lose focus like that? Well, how do you pull an end run on somebody when you're just, you know, doing business with them instead of saying, hey, I got this guy, what do you think? You know, just like doing it without even having a conversation, you know? Yeah. We that thought he was presented to Isaac that night. Yeah, it is. And he didn't present it to him at all. So that's one of those frustrations. So in the meantime, I mean, uh, we're buying notes uh, direct from a seller. And right. it was, again, coincidentally, another broker presented it to me through an, uh, one of our partners. And then I find out the guy that has it doesn't know who she is, doesn't know how she got his inf the information, how she got the package. And then I go, his name is Matt. I go, Matt. I said, I signed uh, your NDA. He goes, what NDA? I know I had. I didn't put two two together until we were talking. I says, well, I sent it about a week ago or so because I was asked to do that because you want it before you showed me anything. He goes, really? He goes, what is my name on there? I goes, yep, it's got your signature. It says electronic signature. And here's the date. He goes, that's over 45 days old. He said, that wasn't for me. I says, well, in any event, I signed it. So did my partner. Did you ever get it? He goes, Ray, this is the first time I, I I'm I'm aware of who you are in your company. Wow. I said, who are all these people? He goes, I don't know who they are. He said, I never met them. He said, I had no agreements with them. Usually when somebody so, wants you to sign an NDA, you know, it's a pretty big deal before they move forward with you. Yeah. 
you know, like, you know, like I get people who want me to sign NDAs that I'm going to be, you know, respect their confidentiality or I'm not going to take their ideas or whatever, you know, and I'm like, no problem, I'll sign it. I got plenty of my own book ideas. I don't have to steal them from others, you know, right? right? And, and, you know, and it's always a laugh, but the thing is they really want it done before going to the next conversation. And I respect that. Uh, We have one of our own, and uh, because everybody wants to find out how we're doing this, I'm sure. Even with with NCND, we don't we don't go a lot of detail because uh, at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. But my point of bringing this up is that brokers they see a fee and they attach that to the dollar amount of the opportunity, and that's all they see. They understand what the product is. They understand how it's structured, what's the best presentation for the buyer and also the seller. They take none of that consideration. And that's where investors have to be taught differently is that you may need a broker to get in certain doors, but the reality is you don't need a broker. Right. You have to understand all these elements to create your own deal. And like with Matt, I had this thing set at my desk, this pool for two weeks. And um, and with that in mind, I started talking about it, and that's how I found out it was his. I said, "Look, I'll be real frank with you here. My offer, you're asking 23 million for it. I want to pay 18 million for it." He goes, "It's it's." He goes, "It's assume you're paying 20 million for it." I go, "No, it's not assume that at all." I said, "I really want to pay 18 million because this is why." Mm-hmm. But uh, on that call, we didn't exchange documents or you know LOIs or letter of, you know other letter of agreements, whatever else. We just worked it out right then and there. He says that that's what you want to do. He says get to me in writing. He said might 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 change a little bit, but he goes I'll be very close to what you want. You know, whenever I see something, somebody wants me to sign that has tons of different, um, you know, like clauses to prevent this problem or that problem or something, I figure either they have a bulldog attorney or they've really been through some shit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, anyway. Yeah, so most of it's been, so that up and down week has been, so we're also pursuing uh, these capital partners, these equity partners. And we're expecting a call today, a confirmation that we're going to get our uh, $25 million um, wire and the proof of funds for a quarter billion dollars on one of them. The other important thing of getting this deposit in with Isaac from Boris is that that deposit trips a $25 million deposit into our process and a half a billion dollar proof of funds. Pretty so important. We start running. Yeah, it is. And, you know, we don't, we never, I've never ever sold myself in a panic situation. I pursue it. And you got to just tell me the truth. Either it's yes or no. If it's yes, what do you need for me to help to, to push it over to confirm it? 
And that's with yeah. Shannon right now. So you're like, got a hold of him. He's got a couple more questions. I said, we'll get him answered and get the wire in today. Mm-hmm. 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 So, I mean, and that's the things I think um, investors have to learn, um, whether it's a Bonnie or a Lori or a Debbie, Sharesh, whoever it is, and we learned those lessons ourselves over and over again. You have to be direct with the buyer or direct with the seller. Right. Like, if don't you're four parties deep. Pardon me? Don't leave it to chance. No. And yeah. we uh, we got away from that about two months ago because we're trying to explain something that was really unexplainable, whoever was listening. I said, and the reality is we have to we got to bet them out if they can sign the documents. Because all the business I've ever done all my life, I don't care what I was selling, I was t- talking to the comptroller, the chief financial officer, the accountant, somebody actually signed the checks. Mm-hmm. And that's the only way you're going to get things done because it's, it's just a conversation. That's all it is. Well, my marketing rule number one, Ray, is a confused mind always says no. Yes. Right? Yes, it does. We gotta put that in your book somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Don't leave You know what, right right in the front yeah. page. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dedication to my wife and my son. Don't leave things. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, how is your son doing? Uh he is really uh doing well. Good. Good. He, um, this is starting, this is the end of his, it's good 11th to 11th is 30 days, but this is probably like his fourth, going on his fourth week. And, uh, he went to therapy a couple times this week. And, uh, the DNT doctor said that, um, he says, you look great. He said, we'll see you in a year. Okay. He's the nurse. She's a neurosurgeon, I think, this week. And the ENT and this neurosurgeon work together. He goes, I'm sure he's going to tell you the same thing. He said, the stitches look well. He said, everything looks good. He said, and my understanding from this neurosurgeon, he got every, he got all the whole tumor out. He says, right. you're good to go. It was non-cancerous. We already that up front. He goes, but um, he said, your brain's going to rewire yourself a little bit because you don't have any hearing in your right ear anymore. But he goes, um, other than that, you'll be fine. Yeah, good. Good. Yeah. And he doesn't even look like he's had an operation. That's how good he looks. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And I haven't asked you this. The new husband, how's married life? I, you know, in my mind, I was always married to her. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah, so it's, it's so we're going to have a ring. Which is good. For me? So not much yeah. different. No, it's 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 pretty well, and uh, good. I think the only thing that is right now, uh, Denise, I'm on the phone. I was on the phone since seven o'clock this morning, and I'll be on the phone till about seven o'clock tonight. It's like that every single night right now. I'm, I'm taking calls at ten thirty at night. Wow. And I know that that's got to slow down a little bit, so uh, I might get her upset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as long as she knows what's going on, that you know buys you some time and stuff. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's dig into exit strategies. 
that all right? Yes, absolutely. Okay, good. So what I wanted to ask you, like normally on the on your uh, original outline you sent me way back, you know, months ago, you had sort of like some major areas for each of these. But with exit strategies, you know, you just have the word exit strategies. So what would you say are the major things uh, or, or major strategies in terms of exiting? And then what we can do is break each, each one of them down a little bit. Well, I think the, the major exit strategy or exit, how do I say this? Um, I think with an exit strategy, it depends on what lane you're in. So if I'm in the wholesale business, I need to understand who my prospect pool list is or my database. And then from there, i got to break it down even further if I have a property worth $100,000 that needs $30,000 worth of work, who am I going to market this to within my pool list? I'm not going to market to the guy who's used to spend a million dollars. And again, I'm not going to market to a person that only wants to put $10,000 in a property. So my exit strategy is I'm going to buy it, secure it and find that particular individual or group of individuals that would take it off of my hands quickly. Because in the wholesale marketplace, I may have to secure it and buy it and pay for it, but I have an extra right away to get my money moving all the time. So speed is of the essence. Yes, speed the market. Okay, okay. Um, it also sounds like what you're saying in a way is that how you exit has a lot to do with how you bought it in the first place. Correct. You know, okay. in some cases, uh, if it's a multi-unit building, the extra stretch may be five years. I always make him smile when you say, correct. <laughs> it's, like, it's so abundantly clear. I love it. You know, I love it. <laughs> so, anyway, go ahead. I apologize. Yeah. So, because there's 16 different ways of, investing or working within real estate, each path has its own set of ex exits. And okay. I say exits in, in plural because not one is always absolute. So if I'm in the wholesale business and depend if I'm wholesaling notes and for my wholesaling uh, performing assets and my wholesaling REOs, if I'm, whole, if I'm wholesaling HOA liens, each one has a different set of rules that you want to abide by, and then within those rules, there should be two or three ways to exit them. Okay. And think them all through systematically because not everyone's going to be absolute. If I'm marketing REO real estate, um, a real good example, get a package of 3,000 properties here shortly, and it can be covered in the United States. What I'm doing in my head already, I'm looking at a map where they're at, and then also look at a map of all the people we have in place to buy them. How they spoke to us, what we had to offer them, and what their interest level was. So I started deducting who's in and who's out automatically. And then I have to figure, worst case, we buy them, someone we're going to have to hold for whatever reason. And then we got to put that up, get them all uh, stabilized, and then sell them and will sell me the retail or 
quasi between a wholesale price and a retail price to move it quickly. And if we have a renter in there, all the better because we get more money for it. So every time I get something, um, as I walk through it mentally, I start thinking how, what's my best profit margin going to be? What's the best buyer for this type of package? What's my risk if I have to hang on to it? And then I take, I take those steps. Mm-hmm. And then it's good old-fashioned dialing for dollars and getting people online to have that opportunity to buy this. Let's talk, every, about, let's talk about exit strategies for retail buying. First off, like, you know, people buying one here, one there, um, because that's probably where your folks are starting out. And yes. then kind of graduate to the wholesaling. Yeah. Um, I, know, I know now you're, because you're so into the HOA liens and everything, it's like you're into these, like, you know, doing 500 and 2,500 and all this, but your reader is still at that sort of getting started place. Yeah, so let's say that um, they're buying a single-family home and they want to make uh, X amount of dollars on it. So the model is, as, I'm a, as a new investor, I need to determine what type of margin I want to make. So I'll make 10000 15000 25000 50, whatever that number is. If I'm going to do that, then it's the way I acquire it, how much money I got to put into it, and then I got to put it in the market, and I have to anticipate how long it's going to take me to turn my money. So the X is to buy it, fix it, and sell it. Maintaining that if I want to make twenty grand each property, that after all my expenses, I'm going to make twenty thousand, and then how fast can I make that? Is it going to be, you know, thirty days, sixty days, ninety days? And if the property is worth that to fix it up, two fifty, two sixty, can I sell for two twenty to move it faster, but have it all in ship shape? So, and and how do you make said, that happen? Yeah, and you've said this before. It's like make profit, but don't be greedy, and then you can get rid of it faster instead of having more holding costs. Yes. It goes back to we just talked about speed to market. Right. And the ability to turn money over faster. So I'm a, I'm a new investor. I've done this once. It took me four months. And you learn some things. So the next time I do this, can I take that four-month timeline and turn it into three months? And then can I turn it into two months? And there's a recipe out there to follow to do that. So if I have $50,000 and I could churn that money four times, my rate of return on that money in that one-year time frame would be exponential. Mm-hmm. So your exit strategy is speed, smaller window, and make money now, not later. Because we've had stories, as we shared through the writing that put this together, is that there's people that out there have invested. Instead of putting it in a market to sell it, they put it 
sixty thousand, eighty thousand dollars higher than that neighborhood will that warrants. Well, a lot for a year and a half. Yep. Yeah. Then they wonder why they didn't make any money. Right. Right. So, it, so the exit strategy is a combination of knowing what you could do with it as you're buying it, or before you buy it. So my my goal as a new investor is to buy a single family home to turn over. What's my best exit strategy? If the market's hot, sell it. If the market dictates ninety day ninety day wait, um, you still get your money back, but you know you got to wait a little bit longer or price it better to sell it faster. And then if it's if I can't sell it that fast, then I'm either going to rent it, do a rent-to-own, a land contract, where I get some of my funds back, but I'm still making money on that property, and then exit in two years. Or I buy it, fix it, have somebody give me my margin I'm looking for, and then assign it to them. There's always a possibility of doing that. So there's, there's different ways of, as you start looking at this, and one of the things we start teaching is there is no absolute answer. I keep on using that word absolute, but there is not one. It's only mm-hmm. as good as what the market is dictating to you in the, in the city you live in. And understand those trends. Understand um, the one way to find out when you don't have access to uh, maybe the internet, or most people do today, but even the ones that don't. Well, how do I find out what the uh, inventory levels are? Just call a realtor up and say, "Look, I got a piece of property here. You know, um, what's the market like?" Well, right now we have uh, 15 months of inventory. Wow. You know the market's not moving. Right. If it has 90 days of inventory, you got a good shot of being priced below the market in that particular neighborhood and moving it faster. So with exits, um, whether it's one, a thousand and one, or a hundred thousand and one, the exit itself is pretty similar. It's just to work in a bigger number. That's all that is. And the thing that for a new investor is how to get comfortable with that. That they know that you know money's made when you buy it, but turns into real money when you sell it. If my strategy is to buy and hold, then I know that I'm going to hold at least for five years. I want to go anything less than that. You're looking for mm-hmm. cash flow, not profits, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like dividends rather than growth with a stock. Right. And then reevaluate in five years if, if it dictates to keep it another five years. And then because a 10-year hold, well, that's not also not bad. So now you got appreciation and debt's being paid down. Your uh, cash flow is increasing, and hopefully, bought another building or two besides that. So, what, what does uh, Stephen Covey say? Begin with the end in mind. Right. Exactly. I real say that way. Right. So that means when you 
when you buy, you're thinking about your exit right up front. Yes. Of course, there's always vagaries, like something happens with the economy a few years down the pike or something like that. But But at the same time, you know, all the conversations I'm having with people, and and from a small investor, if they get into this brand new, what is your market trend? What is your forecast telling you? Now, most investors don't look at that. I think we'll call everybody flat in 0708. They expected the market to slow down, but they were not expecting the market to fall off the cliff twice. June of 07, June of 08. And there was no bottom. There was nothing. There was like an abyss. You just fell into it, and you didn't know where it was going to fall. Now we can look at the, the market and say, okay, I'm going to do some flips. I'm going to try to do two a year for the next three years, which is reasonable. My models are made twenty thousand per. I make forty thousand. I make one hundred twenty thousand dollars in the next three years. Not a bad day at the office because in, by twenty nineteen things are going to level off. Twenty twenty they're going to just uh, flatten out based on what we know. So if you know that, then you know buy and hold really is a strategy for today. Because you can weather through that once you have the property bought because you're buying it low, got your expenses low, money's cheap, have a cash flow, and then over time the appreciation will kick in and then rents will be able to go higher because there'll be a high demand for rents. So if your goal right now today and buy and hold is to um Keep for 10 years. Now, one of the assets that's happening with renters or rental properties, and that one of the things we're getting involved in, not doing it ourselves because it's not our expertise, is actually securitizing the rents. And that's an exit for, I'm going to say, large portfolio buyers. I know I keep on going back to that right now. That's where my head's at. Um, but if you take a these large capital groups, and they're buying um, 5,000, 3,000 properties at a time, they're taking those rents, securitizing them, paying back themselves all those properties within 60 days, and then redo it again, which is a great strategy. So what we're doing with the smaller investors, Denise, is saying, look, you buy this portfolio of 90 properties that are performing right now, We'll show you how to get your money back in 45 to 60 days and to be able to do it again. So they're building in the exit strategy right along with it. Yes, they are. And they're building a portfolio quicker. You're kind of doing that with the HOA means, right? Yes. Are you giving people sort of a window or a time frame of how long they can anticipate having their investment with you? Yeah, we're uh, looking at anywhere from two to four years. Okay. But some of the bigger players out there, that's what they're doing, and they're making a lot of money on this. So as I look at Pull the Trigger, as a teaching uh, 
platform, taking those principles and applying to Vertex Capital and teaching investors that are supposed to be sophisticated how to manage your business better, how to bring value add to that investment, just on a much larger scale. Because we can never assume that everybody knows everything. I know I don't know everything. I'm always learning. Yeah. If we can add value to them. We're going to spend more. We're going to sell more property. And that's the fun. Well, I, you know, one of the things that I've learned is that if you tell people, "Here's a product," isn't it great? You know, it's like you won't get a certain number of people who will say, "Yeah, that's really great," but if you tell people here's a product and here's the benefits and here's how you can use it and here's how much money you can make off of it and I'm going to help you get started and, and, and hold your hand and walk through it with you, you get a much larger group of people who say, okay, now I get it. Okay, yeah. Because they're looking, they're looking for education and looking for somebody that will work with them and grow with them. not just one hit, make one fee. And that's the difference between a broker and an investor, and a broker and a capital group. They're looking to grow with their clientele. Right. Because that would rule of thumb. It's easier to keep on selling them than it is to reinvent the wheel every month. Right. Well, you were a broker for quite a while, right? Yes. I didn't like it. You know what the biggest frustration is? It's it's one of the consumer to a point, but so the brokers. Oh, really? Denise, they do not know their craft. I would think it would be dealing with realtors because realtors can be really kind of fly by night. Well, I don't want to demean anybody that's really good out there because there's some real good ones out there. Oh, They're course. smart, fast movers, build a good business. But the reality is if you have a pulse and you know how to take a test, you can get your license. Yeah. The, the downfall is most of these brokerage houses aren't looking for quality. They're looking for quantity. Um, a friend of mine, uh, this is ex-fiance now, but she was, she was about 26, 27 years old. She's in a Baird, a Baird Warner office in downtown Chicago, 64 agents. She only been in business two years, and she was in the top four out of 64 agents. How does that happen? And she said half her office didn't produce a thing, but they had the license there. Is the brokers do not the, the broker owners or the franchises don't have a training platform in place to really teach them about real estate. They only teach them is work with the buyer, work with the listing agreement, but they don't teach them all the nuances of real estate itself and how to structure deals and negotiations. And uh, some learn it by their own, uh, but most of them aren't going to take the effort or make the effort to learn on their own. And then when you look at exit strategies 
as a realtor agent, you know, work with an investor, you can't assume they understand that. They got to learn it themselves, and the only way they can learn it, if, they, if you teach them, if you teach them, they'll be with you forever. Mm-hmm. But they don't know themselves, so they can't teach. So, if you need realtors to help you with your exit strategies, you know, with uh, properties, right? How do you find a good one? It's a good question. I've been asked that <laughs> many times. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I asked. <laughs> <laughs> that was quite a sigh there. Because <laughs> oh, they are the most frustrating profession that has no rhyme or reason to it. And I think the the good ones will will handhold you. Um, but most of them don't want to work. Like Vine. When I met her, I was still active, and um, I was working with her. You know, I had no issues making many offers simultaneously. Then I said, I can't do this anymore because of what else I'm being pulled into. So she went through three other realtors before she found one. But this one was her friend, um, and the reason she went with her because she wanted to make multiple offers and do multiple properties a month is that because her friend's husband had just passed away and she wanted to get her refocused back in real estate. And she wanted to do five, ten offers a week. Her friend came back to her. She said, your offers are too low and I can't do that many a week. And I go, does she understand what you're trying to do? So I explained it to her. And I've had realtors tell me, well, that's a lot of work. I'm like, you work on commission. If I make 10 offers a week, and I get one a week, I think you're making money. Yeah, no kidding. And that's just on the wholesales, I don't know, uh, the uh, REO side or investment side. And I'm also going to give you the extra strategy to put it back on the market again. But again, uh, realtors think short term, and they only think of a commission at the time. They have no. They have no vision. Well, ninety-eight percent, two percent are good ones. Tell me if you think this is right or wrong. I think a lot of people who are in real estate, they're there because they end up there less than they chose to be there. Yes. You know, in other words, the burned-out teacher or the burned-out nurse or you know the person who got laid off from the corporate world and says maybe I'll try this. You know, it's like people say, you don't choose to go to Denny's, you end up at Denny's. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Happens to be in the neighborhood, okay. (laughs) That's the way we put it. But you're right. I I, I believe that um, nobody says, I want to be a realtor, as nobody says, I want to be a car salesman. I know there's some real good car salespeople out there, so no offense to them, but there's a negative view of car salespeople as there is a negative view of realtors. And because of lack of education, uh, 
you know, lack of um, training, lack of understanding what they're really getting themselves into. Because we're, we're expecting a person that has a license to understand contracts, understand finance, understand management, understand people skills, understand um, all the variables that go into your team. They're not trained for that. Right. And it's really hard to teach sometimes. So it's, it's well, pretty crazy. Go ahead. Oh, well, it seems like they learn. I mean, I'm not a realtor, but it seems like they learn certain legal aspects of buying and selling the home, certain laws, how to write up an offer, but maybe not all the ways to write up an offer, and that's about it, right? Correct. Correct. So it's, it's kind of, much, much I more than that. Finding a needle in the haystack, finding one that is good for a uh, an investor to work with. Yeah, it is. It's really tough, and um, you know, as I try, as I tell you know people and people I'm working with, she got lots of, asked a lot of questions and bet them out. You know, it's just like um, Michael Paji, who's one of our partners. Uh, he's real good at database management. Uh, over the last 15 years, he's cultivated a database about 10,000, 12,000 uh, brokers and investors of all types. So he markets to them what we have. And I know to a one, they see... 500 properties at 75,000 apiece. They calculate the number. They go 2% commission. I'm in. Don't have a buyer yet. But then they go out looking for a buyer. Hey, I got 500 properties. They're, talking, they're doing dollar for dollars. Then they go home at night, whether it's a female or male. They go home to their spouse and say, honey, I, I got the deal. I'm going to make 2% on this. That's about $750,000. And the spouse goes, when's that going to happen? I don't know yet. But I'm going to find me a buyer. I have some. Well, what is it you're selling? I'm not quite sure what that is yet. I know it's property. And then they, then they flounder. So the, the, the story is the realtor is not the exit strategy. If you depend on them to have that extra strategy for you, uh, you're, you're, you're going to be misled. So what are the questions that you need to ask to find a good realtor or broker to vet them? Um, do you, are, you an, are you an investor yourself? Have yeah. you invested? Yeah. I knew you were going to say that one. Oh, how long have you been doing this? I'm not necessarily concerned about their volume. But how many transactions are you involved in with investors? And is it one per investor, multiple per investor? Do you have investors? Did are what are they doing? Are they doing single family homes, commercial, or multifamily? Now, how many properties do you own? Do you own any at all? You own your own and, home. <laughs> yeah, you own your own home. Have you ever had creative financing? Have you ever Pursued private money. 
and based on those answers, I mean, it's a good start. It starts a conversation. Oh, you'll determine if that person's right for you. And then play some scenarios with them. You know, part of the, one of the scenarios is I plan on doing two properties a month, but I know that it might take me 50 offers to get those two. Are you willing to work with me on that? And my offers will be, are not going to be what you're going to like. If I see a property for 50 or 100, I'm going to, try, I'm going to offer 50. And I may be consistent. I don't negotiate. I don't counter. They counter back. I'm moving on. Can you do that? So you really lay out the scenario of what working with you is going to be like. Yes. It's going to be work on mm-hmm. both parts. I live up to my part to make sure I can buy it. You live up to your part to make sure the offers are in. Because yeah, the challenge with realtors, with these MLS services, you go in, they set you up in a profile, say, you know, Ray likes uh, this area and he wants to spend no more than fifty, sixty thousand dollars 60000 Well, that's not necessarily true. I may offer fifty, but I'm looking at something at a hundred, hundred and twenty. Then they put me in this drip campaign, they send me stuff I have no interest in. A good realtor should do the re and for me as a broker, I never did that. I would go out and I'd listen to them and I'd crunch the numbers, crunch the marketplace, and find what they're looking for. First I want I want to guide them. I don't want to be guided. And you have realtors right now who say, why don't you just drive by and tell me what you think? Get in your car and show them. You tell them what you think. That's what they want to know. But that's the, you know, it's, it's a lazy person's business. Mm-hmm. So, so ask them pointed questions about their experience, not just as a realtor, but also you know, in real estate, whether they invest or they even own their own home, you know, and then also give them a scenario of what it's going to be like working with you. Yes. Okay, good. And and fire them when you have to. Yeah, yeah. Robert Allen used to say, hire slow and fire fast. And it's never been so true that it is with a broker. Really? Okay. It's because you don't have time to get things done if you're moving in this business. If if it's a business for you, not a hobby, then you need somebody you can trust. And that's why a lot of investors get a real estate license. And that's why a lot of the bigger ones buy their own brokerage business because they want to control that environment. because they can't find anybody they can work with or trust. What else do people need to know about exit strategies? I think the, uh, probably the biggest thing they need to know is their own limitations and set real, expect- real environment expectations. And what I mean by that is have your model set up before you even start looking at properties. 
where you want to be, how much money you want to make, how much money you have, how much you know construction costs that you're willing to, how much pain you want to put into it in terms of construction costs or rehab costs, and then what's realistic in a time frame to exit it. You know, most people, most investors don't think about the accident until they actually finish the product. And that's what hurts them. All those questions you ask of a broker, all those questions you ask of a product need to be asked and set in stone with some wiggle room as you move forward. Have a plan. Not just... Well, you know, I see my neighbor do this, and they make some money at it, so I think I'm going to do it too. And you talk to the neighbor, and the neighbor says, yeah, just go buy a property and fix it up and sell it. I made $50,000 that way. Well, he can tell you that, you know, he bought it for twenty and put a hundred into it, and then he sold to make fifty on it. That's where the... Still underwater. Yeah. 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 But have a plan. Yeah, that's interesting because people lie. They want to. They want to make it sound like they did better than they did. Sometimes. Absolutely. This is human nature, you know, and that's why a story gets stretched five times by the time it gets to the sixth person. So when you have that neighbor who, who claims they made that fifty thousand dollars, that's where you don't necessarily dive in, but that's where you start asking questions. Yeah. How'd you do that? Show me the check. Right. You made it get up and hide, right? Right. Well, not just questions of him, but questions of other people, too. Like, start asking around and finding people with experience and, you know, is that realistic or was he pulling my leg, you know? Yeah. You know, it's no different if you're going to buy a franchise. You're not just going to go especially like a Subway or the more popular ones, you're not just going to go buy it. Buying it's the easy part. It's running it's the hard part. What does it take? What background do you have to have? Do you need a business acumen? What is it you really need to run that business? And real estate is no different. Ask yourself those questions. What are you passionate about? Where do you see yourself? And how are you going to get there? And I look at him and say, if you come with me, we're going to go through those questions, and I will show you how to get there, one step at a time. Right. right. This is the best business to be in at any given time in your life, at any given time in history. Real estate will always be the foundation to wealth. And if you understand it, you know how to buy it, how to fix it, stabilize it, and exit it, you make a lot of money for a long period of time. Good. Any closing thoughts on um, exit strategies? Well, I think the main thing about an exit strategy is that the key word is exit. you got to enter something and you have to exit it. And how you exit it, you make money, you don't make money. But have that thought in mind as you're buying it. And then be flexible enough to understand that if that doesn't work, what is plan B, C, and D? 
and be prepared. And that will always follow you no matter how fast you grow or how fast, how much experience you get and how you mature in the business. It's the exit strategy that will make you wealthy. Yeah, yeah, that's where the money is, is in the exit strategy. Yes. You know, I mean, maybe you had income, right? If, if it were yep. to buy whole property that you rented for five years, ten years, whatever, but where you make the money is on the exit strategy. Yes. So, okay, good. Absolutely. Just good. Okay, so um, what I'm going to do is next week, let's talk more about crowdfunding. Okay. Okay. So yeah, so I'll send you some links in that to look at too. Okay. All right. Well, I know one's called Patch of Land, and I have the name of the other website in that chapter. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull that out of there, you know, and say. And start back um, at the beginning. Okay. Right. I'm going to say something like, you know, um, in in the chapter we already have on fi- financing, you know. Crowdfunding is the new thing, and I believe it's so important it deserves its own chapter. Something like that. Yeah, that sounds good. Okay? Yep, excellent. All right. Well, things are things are going to look up. I mean, you know, you went through this baloney with your guy, Boris, and uh, now it's going to all straighten out. Well, well it's just uh, every week is an ebb and flow, and uh, yeah, we just follow it. We don't get discouraged by it. We keep on marching forward. And we don't stop. Right. Right. Well, you're patient and, you know, smart and consistent and everything. And the the wins go to people who have those characteristics. So. And that's what we're looking for. And that's I'm very blessed to be with a team that has that same uh, uh, instinct and passion. And it's very yeah, rare yeah. that I'm able to work with that many people with the same mindset. Yeah. Good. Good, good. All right. Well, I will talk to you in a week. Okay. You have a good weekend. Okay. You too. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Okay, I just need to go to the bathroom, put my makeup on, and then I'm out the door. And my money.
Yeah, yeah. So he's, he's always giving me a little rundown sure. of what he's working on and what's happening. And, you know, he's working on these really massive projects.
that right there. Yeah, just, there's not a lot there. It's just, why are you putting my knees away when I'm about to walk out the door? Italians were shocked to learn how the cartel exploited the country's growing migrant prices by securing lucrative contracts to manage migrant reception centers. To propose the FDR News, Rome. Oakland's Golden State Warriors won the opening game of the NBA Finals. 
last night in overtime, beating the Cleveland Cavaliers 108-100. Game 2 is Sunday. I'm Barbara Fine, NPR News in Washington. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include This Generation Incorporated, maker of Tito's Handmade Vodka. Since 1995, this is filled and bottled in Austin, Texas by Tito Beverage. American-made and gluten-free. Recipes and more at titosvodka.com. This is News 88.9 KNPR. So you recycled all your usual items with us in spring, and there's still a few items of value that could do with finding a new home. But you'll never get around to putting them on eBay, or you don't want to stand in line to get on Pawn Stars. So consider contributing them to our upcoming online auction. You know, staircase wine, that autographed movie star photo, the set of golf clubs you got as a gift that you never used. And we've got some guidelines online, so check them out at knpr.org. From NPR and WPUR, I'm Jeremy Hobson. I'm Robin Young, Experian now, and we're going to get right to Colorado today, where defense attorneys will contest the role of movie theater shooter James Cone are getting their chance to question the court-appointed psychiatrist who spent hours interviewing Holmes to evaluate his mental state. Jurors this week watched nearly 22 hours of those interviews. It was all disturbing. But in this segment, James Holmes explains why he believes that telling other people increased his own self-worth. Uh, anything they would have done or like, pursued is canceled out and given to me. And then Marcus up here now contributor Colorado Public Radio has been covering the trial, and then it has got to be tough uh, hours and hours. We've seen snippets of it on national newscasts, but what's it been like to have this uh, tape playing? Well, the tape is 22 hours long, and in between uh, segments of the tape, they are bringing the doctor on who conducted the evaluation to give testimony about what's happened, um, and so it has been a, an arduous process. But this may be the only time we really get to hear from James Holmes. So it is a critically important piece of evidence. Well, last week, the prosecutor, George Bacher, asked the psychiatrist, Dr. William Mead, what conclusions he would draw after all this time that he spent with Holmes. And the doctor said he felt that he was legally sane. But then what is the defense saying? So the defense say, had a great question for the doctor yesterday and that we wouldn't be here, would we, if this defendant didn't have some mental illness. And the doctor said, yes, that's true. This crime would not have been committed without mental illness. That's not the question. The question is, was he legally insane? Did, could he form the intent? Did he know the difference between right and wrong? And given some of the things we saw on the tape where James Holmes would not divulge his plan to others because he feared being stopped, uh, that he felt like the FBI was surveilling him. That to the doctor, Dr. Re- William Reed, suggests that James Holmes knew what he was doing leading up to the attack was wrong. Yeah, we, we will link it to a story that we've done on the definition of insanity. It varies from state to state. But as you said, in Colorado, the person must have a disease or a defective mind at the time of the crime, meaning he must have a mental illness. And as you said, there was an exchange about that. But then also, you must be able to not distinguish between right and wrong. And you're saying prosecutors are building the case that he could. But I'm wondering, how has the jury been advised on this? You know, how, you know, what they are deciding? Because, you know, the judge has repeatedly told the jurors that they can only use the video to consider whether Holmes is sane. So have they defined that for jurors? Right. It's, it's, the doctor can give his opinion, 
But in the end, if jurors watching this video are going to have to form their own opinion about Holmes' sanity, then that's going to get really difficult when other experts take the stand. Experts who saw James Holmes much closer to the time of the shooting who said that he is, in fact, insane. Those are defense experts. They're not expected to be called for another month. And that's why this witness is so important, because the prosecution has primacy. They get to put this witness out first. This is their star witness. But then they're going to have to weigh all these other experts. This truly is, uh, you know, the truest form of battle of the experts when it comes to an insanity defense. Yeah, and yet it's the non-expert jury uh, that are supposed to make final decisions. And you mentioned in a month. What's the length the trial is to do? The trial is expected to go until September. That includes sentencing, um, which if he's found guilty, they'll have to decide whether or not he uh, gets the death penalty. Um, that may be a conservative judgment. Now, if the jury is coming in, they want to know how long this trial is going to be. The judge isn't going to undercut it if he thinks that it's going to end, you know, sometime in the summer. And so September may be a conservative date. The prosecution is expected to wrap up their case at the end of this month, and then the defense starts its case. And so we just really don't know how deep into psychological evaluations and experts they're going to get. So it's really hard to tell, but your best guess is around September. Interesting for them, how are people there, especially the survivors, uh, families of victims, how are they responding? Some of the families of victims that I've talked to said they were relieved to hear this doctor say that he thought James Holmes was sane, uh, that that question, at least in their minds, has been put to rest. Um, and, and that is a huge part of this trial, and, uh, you know, that is the trial, his mm-hmm. sanity. And Mark is so short of those in the state of Colorado Public Radio. Ben, thank you. Thank you. So now to Hawaii, where NASA will try again this weekend to launch a flying saucer-shaped vehicle into the stratosphere. Bad weather has delayed the mission several times. The station has a unique supersonic parachute attached to it, which is being tested as a mechanism to slow it down as it lands on Mars. That's the ultimate goal of this thing. Mark Adler is the project manager at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. He joins us from Hawaii via Skype. Mark, first off, what is the benefit of a ship that looks like a flying saucer versus a rocket? So all of our entry vehicles at Earth and Mars have had this blunt four-body shape. If you remember the Mercury capsule, Hi. I would like chicken McNuggets, please. Was it six ten? Yeah, we have six ten. Yeah, four six ten. I'll just do six. Um ranch. Tip. Thank you. I'm well, thanks. How are you?
I think we should start counting the 60 seconds while you guys were having that conversation. All right. Yeah, thank you.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+ plus. terms and conditions apply. See website for details.